All right, we've been uh, working through a series on unanswered prayer, and uh, I think we've got one more week, uh, possibly after this one. Uh, unanswered prayer is one of those things that a lot of us uh, struggle with sometimes, and we, we know uh, the joy of when God answers our prayers, and we see a miracle, and God just steps in, we're like, that is, that is incredible, that's only explainable by God. We, we have those experiences. But there are also times when we pray, and we pray for something that is really dear to us or is in line with what seems to be God's will in terms of loving Him or loving people, and, and we don't get an answer. Why is that? That's what we have been looking at through this series. And as we've been looking at the various reasons why our prayers are not answered, it's helping us to pray better and to, to, and to instill in us a deeper passion to pray. And uh, like the other messages, uh, this one will be heavy on Scripture. We're going to go through a lot of Scripture again uh, today. But let me, before we jump in, review the nine variables of unanswered prayer. And so when you look at the Scriptures, you basically see nine different reasons why uh, our prayers are not answered. It could be one of them. It could be a combination of them. And really often we don't even know why our prayers aren't answered unless God actually reveals it to us. But scripturally, here are the nine, and there may be more, but at least clearly in Scripture we see these nine. And that is God's will, of course, being one of the biggest variables in an answered prayer. Uh, we see the faith of the person being prayed for, the faith of the person or group praying. Uh, we've talked about the number of people praying, uh, the persistence of prayer, the presence of sin, human free will, the demonic world, and the number and strengths of angels and demons. And so just as a quick review here, uh, the first variable was God's will. First uh, John chapter 5 says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And so if we pray in line with God's will, he hears us, though there's at times, as we've talked about, some of the un other, ver and other variables will keep the prayer being unanswered, even though it is God's will. We see God's will, uh, for instance, in Acts chapter 16, uh, keeping a prayer or a desire from being answered. It says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and, and Galatia, and it says, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. And when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter, enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. And knowing Paul, because he prayed about everything, was probably praying that, God, would you open a door? Would you let us go into this country to preach your good news? And the Holy Spirit says, no. It didn't matter how hard they prayed. It wasn't God's will. God's will was for them to go to another place and preach the gospel. So one of the variables is God's will. Another variable is, again, the faith of the person being prayed for or the faith of the person or group praying. We see this in lots of texts we talked about a couple weeks ago, but one of them is the story of the demon-possessed boy. It says, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. And so this father brings his demon-possessed boy to the disciples, and they couldn't heal him. They couldn't cast out the demon. Now, was it God's will that this boy be delivered from the demon? Clearly, it was God's will. But the disciples' prayers were not answered. Why? It wasn't because of God's will. It was because of something else. And we see this. Jesus rebukes them. 
Uh, it says, you unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed at that moment. When the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, because you have so little faith. And so here we see that the reason their prayer was not answered, even though it was God's will, is because they didn't have enough faith. And sometimes our faith gets in the way of, of, of answered prayer. And so that was variable two and three. Variable four had to do with a number of people praying. And Matthew 18, and again, it's not in the context of prayer, but uh, most scholars generally agree it applies to various areas of life, including prayer. Jesus said, truly, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there, I, uh, there am I with them. And so we talked about how the, the more numbers of people that there are praying, there are more, more power in prayer. And the more people gathered, there just seems to be an extra dimension of God's presence when there are two or three or more people gathered. And so sometimes the number of people praying can make the difference between answered or unanswered prayer. And we also talked about the fifth variable, the persistence of prayer, where Jesus in Luke 18 uh, tells his disciples, and he said, it says in Luke 18, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Meaning there are times when we're going to be tempted to give up, that we're praying and praying and praying, we don't see an answer, and we're like, well, I guess it's not going to work, and we miss out on the diamonds. We, we just miss out on the answered prayer because we have given up. Jesus says, don't give up. Now, why would he say that? Because persistence of prayer pays off. And we looked at a number of verses, a number of stories, and we'll quote, quote our buddy George Mueller again, who said, the great fault of the children of God is that they do not continue in prayer. They do not go on praying. They do not persevere. If they desire anything for God's glory, they should pray until they get it. And we are to keep praying. The only reason we should ever stop praying for something is if God has clearly told us to stop praying. And if he hasn't told you that, then you keep on praying. You keep on persisting until you see the answer. And so there's these nine variables uh, at work that we need to keep in mind. And this is why we need to be careful again about blaming God. And I meet people as a pastor who sometimes are angry at God. God didn't answer my prayer and I'm ticked at him. Well, maybe it wasn't God's fault. Again, we see times in scripture where something is God's will, but it doesn't happen because of another variable. Be very careful about blaming God or blaming someone else because of their lack of faith. Because again, we don't always know. There's these nine variables at work and, and that's what we've been talking, talking through. And today we're going to look at the next two variables. But before they do that, I want to do something for like three seconds, if all of you could stand for one quick second. And uh, I want you to repeat after me, chocolate chip cookies. Okay, one, two, three, chocolate chip cookies. Okay, all right, be seated. Um, that did have a point, but you'll see it later. All right. Variable number six is the presence of sin. Sometimes, again, not always, these are all sometimes, these variables, the presence of sin in our life can be a reason for unanswered prayer. In Isaiah chapter one, it says, when you spread out your hands in prayer, 
I, this is God, hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Why? Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourself clean. Take your evil deeds out of my stop. Stop doing wrong. Now, what were they doing wrong? This is what they were doing wrong. They were not loving people. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Because they were not caring for the poor in their midst, uh, because they didn't have hearts for those who were uh, experiencing injustice, God says, I'm not going to listen to your prayers. Uh, One of the reasons sometimes God doesn't answer prayers is because of the presence of sin. And yet God is always calling us to, 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 to he wants to cleanse us and rebuild us and transform us as the call here is, uh, God says, come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. And of course, that is fulfilled in Jesus, that, that when we come to Jesus, I tell you, it doesn't matter what you've been through, what sin you've had in your life, he forgives. Even the darkest, deepest sin, he can wash you clean. And that's the good news about Jesus. Uh, Psalm 66, it says, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Or Proverbs 28, if anyone turns a deaf ear to my instruction, even their prayers are detestable. We see in the New Testament, a very clear verse, uh, 1 Peter chapter 3. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the gift, uh, the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, before we get to the hindered part, we need to talk about weaker vessel, because whenever I talk about this verse, people are always like, what does that mean? (laughs) Women are the weaker vessel. Uh, What does that mean, right? And I could go talking about prayer, but you're going to be wondering, what does that mean? So... Let's, let's hit that. What does it mean when he says, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel? And of course, this is debated, as a lot of things are within Christianity. Uh, most scholars uh, would not say this has to do, and sadly, some men have used this verse to, to control and manipulate women and you know, put them so-called in their place, uh, saying that women are weaker emotionally or spiritually, and they shouldn't be in leadership, or they shouldn't do certain things because they're weak. I mean, that's, that's not what this means. Most scholars would talk about this in terms of the context where men in those days were all the manual laborers and women in those days, you know, kind of stayed at home and intended to be weaker physically. And so most scholars would say this has to do with physical weakness, that women tend to be physically weaker. And we see even some translations like the New Living Translation put that idea right in their translation where it says, husbands must give honor to your wives Treat your wife with, an under, uh, with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, uh, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. And again, this is not talking about women being left because right there it talks about equality. They are heirs with you of the grace of life. So treat you as you should so your prayers will not be uh, hindered. And so the idea that, that women may be physically weaker most of the time, not, not all the time because I know some women who could beat me up, I mean, for sure, and, uh, and a lot of women sometimes are physically stronger because, I mean, they give birth to babies, and I don't think most of us men would want to do that. So others say uh, maybe this, this is more metaphorical in terms of the as. Uh, it, notice it doesn't say the woman is the weaker vessel. 
is treat her as. And whenever you see the word as, a lot of times it has to do with a metaphor. Uh, we see this all over the Bible, like Song of Songs, chapter 5. It says, this is the wife talking about her husband. His hair is wavy and black as a raven. It's not saying that her, her husband's hair is a raven. It says it's, it's like a raven. It's, it's black like, you know, a raven. So others will say this is a metaphor of how we need to treat each other, that, that the husband is to treat his wife, not because she is a weaker vessel, but as a weaker vessel. In terms of, I mean, you could maybe picture, you know, expensive crystal glass. It's, it's a very weak vessel, but you cherish it and you care for it and you put it, you know, and you, you don't drop it. You don't fool around. You don't abuse that thing. And so the, the word is to husbands, don't abuse your wives. You treat them like you would like a fine piece of crystal. And so some people see it, see it that way. Um, but it does not mean that women should be less. I mean, the text says that there are heirs with you of the grace of life. Anyways, back to the point. It says, husbands, if you are not treating your wife in a loving way, in an honoring way, the word also means to respect your wife, it says that the husband's prayers will be hindered. Uh, so very clearly, sin, the presence of sin, sometimes can get in the way of our prayers being answered. Uh, scholar uh, and theologian Wayne Grudem said this, so concerned is God that Christian husbands live in an understanding and loving way with their wives that he interrupts his relationship with them when they are not doing so. No Christian husband should presume to think that any spiritual good will be accomplished by his life without an effective ministry of prayer. And no husband may expect an effective prayer life unless he lives with his wife in an understanding way, bestowing honor on her. To take the time to develop and maintain a good marriage is God's will. It is serving God. It is a spiritual activity. Pleasing is in his sight. And we know how important prayer is. And that just means that a good marriage where a husband and wife are loving each other is even that much more important. Because it can even affect how your prayers are answered. And so if you are here and you've been praying and you just roadblock after roadblock, it might be worth asking how am I treating my spouse? Am I loving them the way Jesus loves? Uh, and so this is one of the possibilities. But Peter in this text actually says it's not just dealing with husband and wives, but the presence of sin can actually affect anybody in any relationship. This is what he goes on to say right after that verse. He says, finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. And then he says this, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Talking again about that loving each other. That our relationships with each other make a difference in answered prayer. And then right, Peter goes on in verse 4 and he says, The end of all things is near, therefore be alert and sober-minded mind so that you may pray. And so sometimes the presence of sin can be a roadblock to answered prayer. We see in James 5, in this text, 
of healing where you call the elders or others to pray for healing. In this context, it talks about confessing your sin. Uh, confessing sin so that you may be healed. Again, there's a direct correlation between the confession of sin, healing, and answered prayer because sometimes sin can be a reason for unanswered prayer or uh, for someone not being healed. Now, a couple cautions here. As with all of these, if you face unanswered prayer, you can't just say, well, this is what it is, unless God tells you. Sometimes it's a mystery. One of the cautions is we must not think we need to be perfect before God's before uh, God will answer our prayers. This doesn't mean you have to have all things together uh, because none of us are perfect. I mean, the Bible says if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. I mean, none of us are perfect. I mean, I screw up and mess up. You screw up and mess up. I mean, God's just not like nitpicking, oh, I saw that thing, little thing. You're not gonna, I'm not going to answer your prayer. I mean, some of the most sinful people in the Bible had their prayers answered. I mean, Manasseh, who is one of the, the craziest ugly kings of the Old Testament who like sacrificed his kid on the fire. I mean, uh, it says this, but while in deep distress, Manasseh sought the Lord his God and sincerely humbled himself. And this is the point, that we just need to live this humbled life before Jesus. He humbled himself before the God of his ancestors. And when he prayed, God didn't say, well, you've lived this sinful life. I'm not answering your prayer. He said the Lord listened to him and was moved by his request, and he was brought back to Jerusalem, and, and, he, and he was a pretty messed up guy. Uh, and so the idea is that we don't have to be perfect, but, but if we have known sin in our life, especially when it has to do with relationships, we're living in bitterness or unforgiveness, uh, our marriage is falling apart, and we're not going to counseling or praying or doing something about it, that can surely hinder answered prayer. The second caution is not, not every unanswered prayer is a result of sin. Sometimes your unanswered prayer is a result of one of the other variables, as we, as we have talked about. I mean, for instance, John 9 is a guy who most likely prayed numerous times for healing. And it said he went along uh, and he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Why isn't this guy's prayer being answered? Was it sin? Jesus said no. It did not have to do with sin. So again, not every unanswered prayer is a result of sin, but if you have known unrepented sin that you're not living humbly before Jesus, it's probably something that you should look at and humble yourself before him. So, I mean, because there's nothing more beautiful than when, when God is just answering your, your prayers. Now, another question that comes out of this is this. Hey, I thought I was forgiven. Why would God not answer my prayer because of sin? Like, I thought my sin was as far as the east from the west. I thought it was forgiven and forgotten. Why would he say, well, I'm not going to answer your prayer because you're not treating your wife right? If it's forgiven, it's forgotten, it's gone. And sometimes this question is a confusion of, or, or how you see God. And there's two ways the Bible describes our relationship with God. One is more in a legal kind of a sense. One is more in a relationship kind of sense. I mean, legally, because of Jesus, uh, if you trust and love Jesus, you're forgiven. All of your sin, past, present, future, is washed away. You don't need to keep beating yourself up for your sin because Jesus was already beat for your sin. You are absolutely forgiven. Legally, there's nothing between you and God. You can go boldly into his presence and ask for mercy and grace. You are forgiven. And if you're a child of God, you need to believe that. And you need to walk in that. You don't need to keep carrying guilt in your life, weighing you down and making you ineffective in life. It's washed clean. 
But God is not just a judge, and you're not just in some legal relationship with God. He is also a good, good father. And any good, good father who sees his kids not getting along is not going to say, oh, that's really fine, just keep on going, you know. I'll just forget about it. No, a good, good father is going to say, look, you're not loving each other. I'm going to step in and help. And sometimes when we're unloving towards another person, or there's known sin in my life, God says, you know, I've forgiven that sin, but I'm not going to go on pretending like you're just walking around like everything's okay, because not everything's all right. And God will at times step in, and he will discipline us. It says the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. In other words, he wants to see us growing in love. And sometimes when our eyes are closed and we're blind to something and we're not willing to deal with it, God will say, you know, I love you too much to let you continue down that path pretending like nothing's going on. And so sometimes God will step in. And one of those ways is that he'll just shut your ears to your prayers at times. And we go like, God, why aren't you hearing my prayers? It may be one of the reasons. It's not always the reason. It's one of the variables. Again, there's mystery in this as we have talked about. All right, number seven, the seventh variable in unanswered prayer is human free will, is our own free will. Now, if uh, you study theology at all, or you've been a Christian for some time, you know uh, the topic of free will, there's a lot of different opinions about it, there's a lot of different ways people interpret the scriptures differently when it comes to free will, and and so uh, lots of different opinions, and so this one's a difficult one to deal with. But uh, if you were to boil down sort of the big theological opinions on free will and how that works with God's sovereignty, they would kind of lie in two sort of major camps within Christianity. And I'll share those with you. And again, each of these, there's lots of nuances. This is way, way oversimplifying it. I know that. But one view of free will would be sort of what you might call a pre-programmed free will view. This would be more of the Calvinistic view of free will. And they would say salvation is not ultimately an individual's choice, but God predetermined who would go to heaven and who would go to hell. Everything that happens in this universe, every good or bad joy or suffering was predetermined, decreed, and ordained by God. And so everything was sort of, in a sense, might be too heavy of a word, but in a sense pre-programmed by God. Every cancer, every rape, every good, every bad was all because this God is a sovereign God. And so this is one of the views in Christianity. Another view is what you might call a limited free will view. And this would be more of what you call an Arminianist view. Limited meaning that no one truly has complete free will. Because we're always influencing each other and we're not totally free in our own thinking. Because we are always influenced by what we read, what we think, what we do. This view says every individual person has been given grace that allows them to make a choice to either accept or reject God's gift of salvation in relationship. God is not willed, this is in his perfect will. We talked about the difference between his perfect and accommodating will weeks back. God is not willed, predetermined, or decreed suffering and evil. They are a result of the fall of mankind, that is human sin and demonic rebellion. And so to my Calvinistic friends, this point is coming from this viewpoint. Okay, just so you know, uh, Calvinists would see this probably not as a variable in unanswered prayer because everything's kind of predetermined. Um, so I'm coming from an Arminiist viewpoint, which I lean more towards myself. And that is that in the beginning, when God created this world, because God is a God of relationship, He's Father, Son, Holy Spirit, 
He created us to be in relationship with Him. And any true relationship requires love. Uh, a deep relationship always calls, uh, requires love. God created us to love each other and to love God. And for there to be true uh, relationship or love, there needs to be a choice. Uh, if we can't choose to love or not, we're pre-programmed or forced to love or not love. I mean, I mean that, that's, not, that's not true love. Love is when I can choose to love God or not, or I can choose to love you or not. And when I choose to love you, then you know that that's, that's love because he's chosen to love me. So love demands a choice. And this was a risk that God uh, took when he created the world. Now, when he created the world, he took the risk of creating us with the ability to choose whether we love him or not, whether we love each other or not. And we see this kind of choice in various places in the Bible. Uh, for instance, Deuteronomy 3. God says, This day I called the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you. I've given you a choice. Life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice Hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life. That God gives us all this choice. That we can look to him or we can reject him. We can love each other or not love each other. And this is, this is free will. We know that it is, at least from this boy point, a viewpoint, God's will, that every single person who has ever breathed on this planet, God wants to be in relationship with them. Uh, God wants to, to breathe life and, and, and to give them life to the fullest. 2 Peter 3 says, God is not willing that any should perish. 1 Timothy chapter 2 says, God wants all people to be saved. Ezekiel 33, God says, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their evil ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? So God's will is that every single person would be in relationship with him. But we can reject that. We can say, God, I don't want anything to do with you. Uh, we have this free will. And this affects prayer. This affects uh, whether sometimes prayers are answered or not. For instance, we see Jesus in Matthew 23. This, in a sense, is uh, the will of Jesus, who only did what the Father did, only spoke what the Father spoke. The will of God in this situation, Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those who sent you, how often I have longed, this is his desire, his prayer, his wish, if you will, I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and yet you were not willing. Their free will, their free ability to cho choose, uh, they turned their back on God. And therefore, God's will of wanting to gather everybody, Jesus' prayer, if you will, went unanswered in a sense. And so this affects our prayers as well when we're praying for other people. I mean, when you're praying for someone that they would know Jesus, uh, God, would you open their heart? Would you do something amazing so they would know your love and be transformed? And, or you're praying for your spouse or you're praying for someone who, you know, is just in a bad spot and you're praying that God would deliver them. There is the element of free will. Uh, that God will not force that person to change, and you cannot force that person to change. This doesn't mean our prayers for other people are useless, and, uh, and this is where I'm going with this. We see Paul uh, prayed for people's salvation. We see all over the Bible people praying for each other. Paul saying, you help us by your prayers. In Romans chapter 1, 
Uh, Paul says, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Or Acts 26, I pray to God that they not, uh, that not only you, but all who are listening to me uh, today may become what I am. He's praying that people would know Jesus. But if people have free will and they have the ability to choose or not, where does, how does prayer work in this idea of free will? And if I'm praying for someone and yet they have free will and God's not going to force them to change, I mean, how does that work? This is where the idea of influence comes in. Uh, influence is powerful. Uh, the, the principle here is this. God will not completely override a person's free will. However, prayer does increase the influence of the Holy Spirit on a person's life. The more we pray, the more the Holy Spirit will be tugging at and influencing their life and heart. In other words, I mean, if we're praying for someone that they would know Jesus, God doesn't like turn them into a robot and I will love God, you know. No, you know, you're praying for your spouse. And they're being really mean to you and unloving. You're playing, God, would you soften their heart? God doesn't just go, and all of a sudden, I will be a loving person. I mean, God does not, like, revoke people's free will. But what he does do is that when you pray for someone, I mean, you, could just, you just picture the heavens open, the Holy Spirit beginning to work and influence. And influence is powerful. I mean, just a little while ago, I had all of you stand up and say chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> now, you had free will. Uh, and some of you chose not to stand because I saw it. And some of you did not say. But most of you stood. Even though you have free will, I had powerful influence on you. And if I can influence people, how much more God? Uh, and this is why every prayer is incredibly important. Because when you begin to pray for someone, it's like the Holy Spirit begins to influence them. You can see the heavens open and, and just like shining his light on that person. And influence is powerful. And God's influence is powerful. Even though he will never override their free will. Uh, so influence can change people's lives. And we see that when we're praying for marriages, when we're praying for people, that God's influence upon them does incredible things. And I say, well, why doesn't God just influence them anyways without our prayers? Sometimes God does. But we also talked about this. God is always looking to work through people. That's why we're called the hands and feet of Jesus. As, as God says, I looked for someone to stand in the gap on behalf of the land. And he says, I found none. So he had to, to turn them over to their sin. He's always looking. He's every, I, I'm looking for someone to, to stand in the gap on behalf of that person. And whenever I pray, it, it just opens a door for God to work in someone's life. And so your prayers are powerful. When you're praying for your marriage, when you're praying for those who don't need Jesus, who are uh, people who are praying, are living in unforgiveness and bitterness and need the freedom of Jesus, your prayers are powerful because it opens the door for God to begin to influence their life. As James 5 says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Uh, and so the continued encouragement is keep on praying. Keep on praying passionately, keep on praying deeply, and the more we pray, the more we've been seeing miracles and answer prayer and God doing good things, because God is a God who does amazing things and does amazing things through prayer. So next week, we're going to finally finish this series, and we're going to talk about the last two variables, and that is this unseen world that we do not see, uh, angels and demons, and how those affect whether our prayers are answered or not. And so with that, I'm going to call the worship team back up, and... Uh, Let's stand as we, uh, as we pray.
Father, we, uh, we thank you, God, that you are a good God. We thank you, uh, God, that you, uh, that you work through prayer. And God, we thank you for the, the answered prayers that we have seen in this church and God and in our individual lives. So God, would you continue to teach us about prayer? Would you continue, God, to help us filter out these things that, that hinder answered prayer so that we might be more useful, God, in your kingdom? And God, I, I pray, God, if, uh, God, if that we're resisting your son Jesus in any way, that you, God, might just help us surrender to you. God, if we're holding on to sin that is weighing us down, God, that we would open our hands and allow you to take it. God, if there is anxiety and stress weighing us down because of hectic, hecticness of life, God, may we, in obedience to you, as your word says, that we would cast all of our burdens and place them in your hands. God, I pray for anyone here, God, who is struggling with unforgiveness or bitterness towards another person. God, I, we pray for empowerment. God, that your spirit is bigger than bitterness, bigger than unforgiveness, bigger than whatever that sin was. And God, may we release that to you. And God, and love people, even our enemies. So God, continue to work surrender into us. Continue to draw us to the grace and the power and the forgiveness of your son, Jesus.